Last summer, we were able to transition uh, from the crisis phase of the emergency to a more sustained, uh, ongoing, long-term public health management response. But I warned back then that COVID and its variants uh, were going to be with us in one form or another for the foreseeable future. Uh, right now, we're experiencing the winter surge that we anticipated. Uh, together with the convergence of the Delta variant, uh, the flu season, and the Omicron variant, which has spread like wildfire throughout the country and around the world. Our focus has been and continues to be on preventing hospitalizations and deaths. Today, Maryland hit a record high of 3,057 COVID hospitalizations, uh, which is an increase of more than 500%. Established a surge operations center to optimize bed capacity and to fully utilize the alternate care sites that we stood up early in the crisis and which we continue to uh, keep in place. Health officials issued a directive requiring hospitals to undertake actions upon uh, reaching certain thresholds. When they reached 1,200 COVID hospitalizations, Maryland hospitals began efforts to reduce the scheduling of certain non-urgent medical procedures uh, to open all staffed bed capacity. Uh, when they surpassed 1,500 hospitalizations, uh, Maryland hospitals immediately implemented their detailed pandemic surge plans. We recently committed $100 million in emergency funding for Maryland hospitals and nursing homes to address urgent staffing needs. This included $50 million to stabilize hospital workforce and staffing needs and another $50 million for hospitals and for nursing homes to expand the availability of COVID-19 testing, treatments, and vaccines. State health officials are now requiring all nursing homes experiencing an outbreak to offer COVID-19 therapeutic treatments for residents. While we you know, can't manufacture doctors and nurses who don't exist, uh, we have continued to do everything we possibly can do at the state level in order to help our hospitals withstand this surge and to save lives. Uh, from day one of the crisis, I have told it to you straight. Uh, and so the truth is that the next four to six weeks will be the most challenging time of the entire pandemic. Our newest projections as of today show that uh, COVID hospitalizations could reach more than 5,000, uh, which would be more than 250% higher than our previous peak of 1,952 last year. Uh, while we are hoping for the best, we are actively preparing for the worst. Moments ago, I issued a proclamation declaring a 30-day state of emergency to take urgent short-term actions to combat the current crisis. I have also enacted two new executive orders. Uh, the first gives Maryland's health secretary uh, the power to regulate hospital personnel, bed space, and supplies. It includes the ability to direct and expedite the transfer of patients between hospital facilities as necessary. This executive order allows the Maryland Department of Health the authority to establish additional alternate care facilities.
to assist hospitals and nursing homes in addressing staffing shortages. The uh, executive order allows interstate reciprocity for healthcare licenses. It allows inactive healthcare practitioners to practice uh, without needing to reinstate their expired licenses. And it authorizes graduate nurses uh, to work at any healthcare facility and to provide full nursing services. And the order allows for healthcare practitioners to practice outside the scope of their licenses. Uh, the executive order also authorizes the health department to regulate elective medical procedures as necessary and to issue directives to control and monitor COVID-19 in nursing homes and similar congregate care facilities. The second uh, executive order authorizes additional steps to further augment our EMS workforce, which is on the front lines and also being overwhelmed with COVID patients. Uh, today, at my direction, we are mobilizing 1,000 members of the Maryland National Guard to assist state and local health officials with the state's emergency pandemic response. Uh, approximately 250 members of the Guard will be deployed to support COVID-19 testing sites across the state, including at hospitals and skilled nursing facilities, and to assist with patient transport as needed. Uh, last week, we opened two new state COVID-19 testing sites at the University of Maryland Upper Chesapeake uh, in Bel Air and at Anne Arundel Medical Center in Annapolis. These new sites are accepting walk-ups with no appointment necessary and are open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Today, we are assigning additional National Guard soldiers to support operations at these state-run sites. In addition, uh, they will be assisting us in the opening of another 20 testing sites outside hospitals all across the state in order to meet the rapidly rising demand for testing and to divert people away from visiting hospital emergency rooms just to get COVID tests. As I have been repeatedly saying over and over again, uh, the, the single most important thing that you can do to protect yourself, your family, and your fellow Marylanders from this virus and its variants is to get fully vaccinated and to get a booster shot. Uh, throughout all of 2021, nearly 75% of those who tested positive for COVID-19 in Maryland were people who had not been fully vaccinated. Nearly 84% of all our COVID hospitalizations for the entire year were people who were not fully vaccinated. And more than 84% of the more than 4,700 additional Marylanders who died from COVID-19 last year were not fully vaccinated. These are not opinions or judgments. These are undisputable facts. Uh, the vaccines are safe and effective, and they're keeping people out of the hospital and saving lives. Following the latest action from the FDA, state of Maryland is now able to provide COVID-19 booster shots for children uh, between the ages of 12 and 15. Maryland is also, uh, Marylanders are now also eligible to get a booster five months after completing their primary doses of either Pfizer or Moderna, uh, instead of having to wait until six months after being vaccinated. 
today I have a call with the White House right after this press conference, and today I am uh, urging federal officials uh, to consider shortening that time frame even further for vulnerable people, particularly those in nursing homes and congregate care facilities. In November, Maryland health officials authorized providers across the state to immediately begin scheduling appointments, holding clinics, and vaccinating the 515,000 eligible 5 to 11-year-olds in Maryland. While 92% of all Maryland adults are vaccinated, uh, to date, 33% of the uh, 5 to 11-year-olds in our state have been vaccinated. We all want to keep our schools safely open because there's absolutely no substitute for in-person learning. And one of the best ways to do that is to get more of our school-aged children vaccinated as soon as possible. Yesterday, we announced that face coverings are now required in all state government buildings in Maryland. And to encourage booster shots among state employees, the state is now providing two hours of paid leave for any employee to get a booster. Uh, we're urging uh, other employers across the state to follow our lead by providing leave for vaccinations and for boosters, and by strongly encouraging the wearing of masks or face coverings indoors. Uh, next to the vaccines, wearing masks is one of the best mitigation strategies that we have. Uh, everyone got a little complacent, and I think maybe thought that we were starting to get back to normal. But with this new surge of Omicron, uh, it's important uh, for Marylanders to get back to using common sense and to doing the things that kept us safe before. Avoiding crowds, keeping your distance, washing your hands, and yes, wearing the damn masks. Now, all of the emergency actions that we're taking today are to keep our hospitals from overflowing, to keep our kids in school, and to keep Maryland open for business. And we will continue to take whatever actions are necessary in the very difficult days and weeks ahead. But we also need the federal government to take decisive action. Uh, today, I'm calling on the Biden administration to make, uh, take immediate actions to increase the distribution of monoclonal antibodies, which are very effective, life-saving clinical treatments. Last month, uh, we began distributing one million uh, at-home rapid tests through local health departments and we are working on emergency procurements to acquire as many more as we possibly can. Uh, but there is a serious national shortage, and the federal government needs to immediately expedite the approval of additional rapid tests and to push to increase production and distribution to the states. Uh, we're also calling on the Biden administration to increase and expedite production and allocation of the new COVID-19 anti antiviral pills which were recently authorized by the FDA and which are another much needed tool to prevent serious illness and death. Finally today, as we um, enter the third calendar year of this global pandemic, I want to again take a moment to thank all of our amazing healthcare heroes who have faced immense, unprecedented and never ending challenges. For the past two years, these men and women have selflessly and tirelessly worked around the clock and have made countless sacrifices to keep Marylanders safe, to treat patients, and to save lives. If you have a chance, please take a moment to thank them and their families. These heroes truly are the definition of Maryland Strong.
and our state owes them a tremendous debt of gratitude. Uh, may God bless each and every one of them. And may God bless each and every one of you and your families as we uh, stay Maryland strong and as we continue to fight this battle together. Uh, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to Major General Tim Gowan, Adjutant General of the Maryland National Guard, who's going to provide an operational update regarding uh, the deployment of the 1,000 members of the National Guard across the state. General. Thank you, Governor Hogan. Good morning. Over the past two years, we've worked closely to support the Maryland Department of Health and other state agencies to help ensure a rapid and unified response to the COVID-19 pandemic. If one characteristic has epitomized the Maryland National Guard's response to COVID-19, it has been adaptability. Time and again, we have rapidly pivoted to meet the needs of the community as new challenges arose. This, this activation is no different. Last week, 40 soldiers already on duty supporting the Vaccine Equity Task Force were promptly reassigned to support COVID-19 test sites at the University of Maryland Upper Chesapeake Medical Center in Bel Air and at the Luminous Anne Arundel Medical Center in Annapolis. As the governor has stated, we'll be activating up to 1,000 soldiers and airmen to assist state and local health officials with the state's pandemic response. Expected missions include COVID-19 testing, supporting local hospitals and skilled nursing facilities, and assisting with non-life-threatening patient transport. For every mission, guard support will be tailored to meet the needs of each site. Mission details are still being worked with the Maryland Department of Health and local medical facilities. Other efforts to combat the virus will continue. The Vaccine Equity Task Force, led by Brigadier General Gene Burkett, continues their efforts to increase vaccination rates across the state. I'd like to thank the governor for his continued faith in the Maryland National Guard and to recognize our partners for their timeless work to protect the public from this virus, of which our efforts are only a part. Our Guard members are always ready to help the neighbors, families, and friends in their communities where we live and work. We are a community-based force made up of dedicated military professionals ready to answer the call when we are needed. This is what we do. This is why we serve. I'll be followed by Dr. De, uh, Ted Del Delbridge of the Maryland Institute for Emergency Medical Services and Systems. Thank you. Governor Hogan, generals, Mr. Secretary, thank you very much and, and good morning. <clears throat> I would uh, like to provide a sense of the healthcare system first by reiterating uh, what Governor Hogan said, we owe them a debt of gratitude. The thousands of people who go to work in Maryland every day with a clear focus to help others. Earlier in the COVID-19 pandemic, we applauded them as heroes and signs and banners expressing our admiration and appreciation were abundant. Now, more than ever, they need our outward show of support. While our healthcare system and the skilled and dedicated people who comprise it are resilient, they have been tested over recent weeks and will continue to be tested in the weeks to come. Currently, there are 3,006 adults and 51 children with COVID-19 in Maryland hospitals, and that represents a 100% increase since December 22nd, or a doubling. Our hospitals are struggling to deal with the numbers of sick people coming to them. As of yesterday afternoon, more than 600 patients, people, were waiting in emergency departments for their turn to be admitted to a hospital bed. In fact, our emergency departments are as busy as they have ever been. In many cases, they are being asked by people to provide evaluations and care that could be more appropriately sought in other places. 
Nearly all of Maryland's emergency departments are broadcasting what is called a yellow alert to the EMS system. In doing so, they are requesting that EMTs and paramedics take their patients to other facilities. Of course, that's not possible when every nearby emergency department is also requesting no new patients. To help EMS personnel in the field and their patients, we have developed a dashboard that tells them where ambulances are at area hospitals and how long they've been there. That way they can work to avoid facilities where there's been a recent influx of new patients and where there are significant delays. We have heard from our EMS system leaders throughout Maryland. Congested emergency departments lead to delays in transferring care of patients, resulting in less availability of EMS resources in the communities they serve and longer response times to emergencies of all sorts. We're in close contact with hospitals and EMS system leaders to make certain the issue is getting appropriate attention. In the past several days, it's been necessary for us to be more deliberate in advising EMS personnel to avoid specific emergency departments for limited periods, allowing them, the emergency departments, to catch up and regroup and help ensure that EMS ambulances do not become inadvertently sequestered. If you have needed the healthcare system recently, you have undoubtedly appreciated how much pressure is on it. Hospitals have postponed non-urgent surgeries and therapies. Currently, nine hospitals are operating under what are known as crisis standards of care, and three others are poised to do so. Thus, 25% of Maryland's hospitals have adjusted their internal standards and operations, attempting to meet the needs of their communities. They have redeployed staff to where they are needed most to provide some benefit to the greatest numbers of patients. They have redesignated rooms and treatment areas to care for more people or sicker people than where the rooms were initially designed for. They also continue efforts to move patients, especially those requiring intensive care, to places with the necessary capacity and resources and expertise. In fact, the Critical Care Coordination Center at MEMS, which serves to match critical care patients with available resources, experiences busiest month in December since its assumption in 2020. It serves as one of the nation's models to attempt to get patients to the optimal care they need. With today's announcement, we will move briskly to ensure we have engaged all those with knowledge, skills, and interest to contribute to the healthcare system. For example, students in nursing and respiratory care may be able to serve as clinical externs, providing assistance to beleaguered hospital staffs while gaining valuable experiences. There are actions we can all take. First and foremost, if you have not been vaccinated for COVID-19, I urge you to reconsider. I can think of no greater testimonial than to tell you that I and my family have all been vaccinated and boosted. I'm not advocating something I wouldn't do myself or encourage those closest to me to do. If you have been vaccinated and it's been five months, plan also to get a booster. It's incredibly disheartening and discouraging to be on the healthcare front lines and know that much of the current situation is avoidable. Vaccinations are akin to wearing a seatbelt, which is ironic. Uh, it might not prevent you from being injured in a crash, but it certainly reduces the severity and injuries and prevents fatalities. In Maryland, if you have not been vaccinated, you are more than 10 times more likely to be admitted to a hospital with COVID-19, and you're even more likely to require intensive care. It's just plain sad. For our healthcare heroes, it takes a toll. Last year, when we experienced a similar surge, there was no flu. Wearing masks, keeping our distance, and washing our hands prevented it. This year is different. Flu cases in Maryland are rising. The flu is more than a bad cold. It kills thousands of people each year and it puts people in the hospital. Please plan to get a flu vaccine. Both the flu vaccine and COVID-19 vaccine are available at pharmacies throughout Maryland. There are times when people should go to an emergency department. Examples include chest pain that doesn't resolve in a couple of minutes, shortness of breath, new difficulty talking or walking, 
abdominal pain that doesn't go away, or anytime there's a concern that immediate help is needed. But there are other times when people should seek care with their primary care provider or at an urgent care center, reserving the emergency departments for more serious and acute problems. And some of those examples include to get a COVID-19 test. Don't go to the emergency department. Instead, go to one of the many testing sites throughout Maryland. And as we said, more are on the way. A useful resource to find one is covidlink.maryland.gov. Don't go to the emergency department to verify or validate an at-home or rapid test. It's not necessary. Rapid antigen tests are reliable. Especially if the test result matches the situation, there is no need to double check. For example, if you have symptoms of a cough and a fever and your test is positive, you have COVID-19. Stay home. To be evaluated because of a positive test. Unless you are short of breath, most people can take care of themselves at home. If you are at higher risk, touch base with your primary care provider. Additionally, many healthcare insurers also provide access to telehealth resources where people can consult virtually with the healthcare provider to get advice without leaving their own homes. We must, all of us, continue to do our parts for our own health, our families, and our neighbors. If you're sick, stay home. Otherwise, wear a mask in public or crowded places. Wash your hands, keep your distance, and please get vaccinated. It's the very best tool. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Delbridge. With that, we'll take some questions. Brett? Governor, you've said many times this isn't March 2020, but there are those who call for more um, mandatory masks, all that sort of thing. Why are you doing what you're doing today and not going far? You know, our real focus is, as I said, uh, keeping people out of the hospital and uh, preventing deaths. And we're taking all of the steps that we believe are necessary right now, but we're going to continue to, you know, we've t we're taking steps just about every single day. And we're going to continue to take the ones that we uh, believe are necessary, as we have uh, throughout the entire crisis for the past two years. And uh, it, it sometimes has an opposite effect. I mean, I'm not sure the people that are refusing to wear a mask are going to wear one anyway. Uh, we don't have the ability to enforce it. So we're just strongly encouraging people to wear the damn mask. But uh, we don't need a, a, a mandate to force people, force businesses to do that. We're encouraging them to do so. Yes, I'm doing fine. Thank you uh, for asking. I uh, I had a 10-day staycation in the basement of the governor's mansion. I got a lot of work done and continue to stay in touch with my team in the governor's office. Uh, participated in a lot of uh, calls and, and uh, even did a, a press conference Zoom from, uh, from, uh, from there at the beginning of, the, of my uh, isolation. Um, I, you know, for me, it was, uh, it was like a pretty bad cold. Uh, and that's because I was fully vaccinated and, and uh, boosted. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for that. So I didn't end up in the hospital or dead like so many other folks have in Maryland. Uh, I was able to get a monoclonal uh, antibody treatment early on in my uh, uh, you know, illness, and um, you know, very, very happy I had the chance to do that. I don't know what, whether that I didn't feel any instant. You know, they said you may feel instantly better. I didn't notice anything at all, but uh, you know, I didn't get sicker, so I'm happy we had that opportunity. And it's one of the reasons why we're uh, continuing to call on. There's a shortage now uh, across the country with respect to these treatments that should be widely available, and that's one of the things we'll be talking with the White House about later today. 
We've been taking actions with the hospitals nearly every day, and we, you know, we put out, uh, you know, information. Although we haven't had a press conference about it, uh, you've got, you've seen press releases nearly every day with actions we're taking. The Department of Health uh, took, you know, dozens of actions with respect to the hospitals to give them the flexibility that they needed. I think they they had most of what they needed. Um, there was some concerns about, uh, from a liability standpoint, for some of the smaller hospitals that weren't taking action because they felt I should declare a statewide state of emergency instead of a public health emergency that the Secretary of Health declared. But, um, you know, it's not like we just decided to take action today. We've been taking different actions every day. And it's now gotten to the point where, uh, you know, we crossed over the 3,000 hospitalization mark today, which is a major milestone. Uh, our projections are dramatically different than they were a week or two ago. And so we decided to take further action. Governor, it seems to be from the beginning we've heard this big debate about whether it comes school well, absolutely. I think kids need to be in school. I think we, we've all seen the incredible damage that has been caused by, in some cases, people being doing remote learning for over a year. And so I'm, I agree with the uh, all of the elected officials yesterday that came out in support of in-person school. Um, you know, we've provided unlimited amounts of money and testing and uh, the ability to provide vaccines for the kids. And uh, uh, the kids are doing pretty well. I mean, we've got some outbreaks in some schools, but for the most part, they're not nearly as bad as the, uh, the, the general population. I mean, they may be safer in school than they are, you know, not being in school. Um, and so while we're, we're going to take every step we can to get our keep our kids safe and we want to encourage them to get vaccinated and uh but we don't think closing schools and sending kids home for virtual learning is the way to go. So we, we agree with that. Oh, I have a question about the National Guard. Sure. Uh, can, can you address concerns by some local jurisdictions that activating members of the Guard will help first responders and further deplete those ranks of the capacity? Are the Guard members being activated fully I'll answer your second question first. The answer is yes. I cannot activate them unless they, they are uh, vaccinated. It's a requirement with the type of orders that we're on. The first question is uh, our overall objective is to not, you know, we want to be additive to the community. So our overall objective is to not call up people who are also fighting COVID into civilian jobs. However, um, I'm going to leave that to the chain of command to make the onesie twosie decisions. We're calling up entire units based on the size of this organization. And I'm going to leave it up to the chain of command to make those those types of decisions about whether or not we're actually being additive or not. You know, these are decisions that uh, the uh, the local health departments and the local school boards can make on their own. Um, you know, I understand they're taking uh, they're trying to keep kids in school and uh, perhaps, you know, making sure that kids do, they do more testing, which is one of the reasons why we provided unlimited testing to the school systems and why we put so much money into the schools and emergency funding. But I don't know the exact details about what each individual local school system is deciding with respect to testing. And that's the treatment. Um, I don't think there's a shortage, but can you speak to the amount of availability that Maryland currently has, the estimate of people that would be helping in the country? I'm sorry, the, uh, the, 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 the yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, we have an unlimited, I think, amount of uh, the things that work for the previous variant, uh, but not the one that's for the, the, the current Omicron variant. And that's one of the things we'll be discussing with the White House later today. There's a nation, it's not a Maryland shortage, it's a nationwide shortage. Um, and uh, I, I'm hoping that that's one of the things that the president might address today, in addition to talking with us and some fellow governors uh, right immediately after this press conference. I think he plans on saying something today about the crisis, and I hope he'll address the shortage of monoclonal antibodies. Uh, and uh, I'd like to hear more about the, you know, half a billion home tests they were going to send out to everybody across the country, and we've heard absolutely no details about that. Well, maybe I'll turn that over to uh, Dr. Chan or Secretary Schrader, maybe. Um, yes, it's changing. Uh, we still have uh, the 8% of the, of the folks in the state who are unvaccinated are now, I think, about 45% of the hospitalizations. But, you know, that small percentage is still almost half. The other 90% is now, uh, you know, is making up the other 40-some percent. So there are people who are, uh, you know, vaccinated, but not fully vaccinated, that are in, that are ending up in the hospital. They're not boosted, which is one of the, one of the reasons why we keep stressing that. Uh, it is changing. It's changing all across the country. And Omicron is t overtaking Delta. Uh, and uh, luckily, it's not. Uh, we are getting more people in uh, ICU. We got more people in the hospital because there's just it's so contagious and everyone's catching it. Uh, but it's not as deadly, and we don't have as many deaths, and it's, it's a lower rate. So it's just an overwhelming number. But I'll